When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, The Circus, Renaissance Fairs, and Doritos. Whether it's target cutting with the whip, lighting a whip on fire, uh, fancy whip cracking, there's, there's a whole other set. I think Renaissance Fair is, it's a place where you can go and be yourself, no matter how weird yourself is. So these whips are so freaking heavy. And the whole time I'm swinging this being like, oh God, just don't dislocate your shoulder I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. I want to get right to our first guest. This is circus and Renaissance Fair performer Jack Lepiars, perhaps better known as Jack Z. Whipper. So how did you get into this? Uh, I grew up in the circus. I So uh, my dad, when I was a kid, was working with Big Apple Circus. Um, and we left the circus when I was six and started doing renaissance fairs around the country. My dad eventually started his own show, did uh, school assembly programs, theater programs. So I had that taste of the life all through my childhood. And at the same time, my mother was a college professor. She's now retired in Florida. And so I still got a normal education on top of it. Looking back, was that kind of an interesting life? It's definitely an interesting life. Being the circus kid is really cool when you're six, and it stops being cool around 12 up until, I would say, like college. So like that whole stretch of like middle school, high school, not a fun time. We all have those teenage experiences, like I don't want to be my parents, but then how, do you, how did you find yourself back in it? So that's, that's a really easy question. I was actually, I was working for an ice cream shop and I was making six twenty five an hour. And my dad called me. He was like, I need you to, I need some help with this show. I will pay you. I think it was the equivalent of $50 an hour. And I was like, oh, 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 okay. All right. You can, you can make a living with this and much better than, you know, the minimum wage at the time. And so I was, I think I was 16 then and I hadn't done anything with him for about five, six years. And suddenly I was like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's start relearning some of these skills, uh, learning skills that I never had in the first place. And then when I went off to college, it was like, 
all right, I can go back to scooping ice cream or I can just, you know, go out on the streets of Boston and just street perform and, and see if I can make some money that way. And it turned out that just by street performing in like September, October, and then again in April, May, when it was warm enough, I could make enough to kind of like have spending money throughout the year. I wouldn't say necessarily lucrative, but that's the first word that jumps into my mind. Like you can do this full time and be good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So my dad has been a full-time circus performer his entire, essentially his entire adult life. He worked um, when he was very, very young, kind of worked in a factory, drove cab just to kind of like pay the bills. But uh, since I would say about 30 years old, he has been a full-time circus or Renaissance Fair performer. No side hustle, nothing, nothing like that. And he, he let's put it this way, he's put multiple children through college uh, with that. Um, it is, I think there's this image of, of circus people and Renfair people of, you know, they're, they're there because they don't have anywhere else to go. But if you have the right skills, um, it can be a very good career. Are there a lot of people that have those right skills? So like you can do this, but you got to be really good. I think where you get it the most is sort of in my line of work where you're the variety act. You're not, let's say a member of the cast at the Renaissance fair. Um, you're not, uh, working at a booth or something like that. So when you have a variety act, whether it's myself, someone like uh, Paolo Garbanzo, the juggler, um, you're in Arizona, so like Adam Winrich at the Arizona Renaissance Fair, those are people who can make a solid living in and support themselves off of that. Now, when you do like kind of the variety show, for people who aren't familiar, I know that you're known mainly for the whipping, but what all kind of, what, what's the show, what do you do, all that kind of stuff? Well, so uh, just so I can backtrack, a variety show is is sort of anything that's not, let's say, doing Shakespeare. Um, so just variety circus tricks. Um, so my big thing that I do that you see on TikTok, Instagram, all that is the musical whipping. So I'll take two whips, use them to make a beat, and then uh, I will improvise lyrics as best I can on the fly with what the audience gives me. And that's what gets posted to social media because that's all improv. I, I kind of related to it's like a stand-up comedian's crowd work it's because it's different every show i'm fine putting that up there but then after that i have i would say about 45 minutes uh of completely you know scripted material that is a mix of stand-up and circus tricks so whether it's target cutting with the whip lighting a whip on fire uh fancy whip cracking there's there's a whole other set of the show that does not get posted because that's scripted material and you have to come see the show in person to see that but why did you gravitate towards the whip? So when I was a kid, my dad did whip cracking and uh, Indiana Jones. So I think those two things. I basically, when I was a kid, it seemed cool. Um, and I had easy access to it. So, you know, the, the whip that I first learned on was one of my dad's old whips that was made by the guy who made the whips for the original Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones. Uh, so that was the whip that, that, that thing is worth like $2,000 today. And that was (laughs) the whip he handed to a seven-year-old to learn how to use, which is not a good idea. I do not advise teaching seven-year-olds to crack whips. Yeah. That's kind of a more dangerous thing, right? Like, I don't know if you can do that today. Like here, three-year-old, here you go. It's not as dangerous as people think. It's, it's dangerous, but it's, um, if you're taking the right precautions, which is wear long long pants, sleeves, wear eye protection, that's the big thing, it's not too bad. I also say if you've got someone young, give them ear protection too, just because those things are loud. And I do have mild to moderate hearing loss. And, you know, you can avoid that if you just give your child some <laughs> some earplugs while they're cracking, cracking their first whip, baby's first whip. 
you can they're that loud or you just done it so much that like it's a combination of it so um most of the time i actually try to not be too loud with the whips because it's it's louder for someone on the on the other end who's watching me because the whip it when it cracks is you know six seven eight feet away from me um and if i'm on a small stage that means it's like two feet away from the audience so it's right in their face when it cracks um but there are a few cracks a few whips that i have where it's just right next to my my right ear and it is loud so it's it's if you i've taken hearing tests the hearing in my right ear is so much worse than my left ear because i'm right-handed most of the cracking is on my right side how do you crack it? I've never been like I had a whip when I was a little kid, but I couldn't do anything with it. Like, how do you do it? So the first thing you do is don't try to do what everyone tries to do, which is they take the whip at, like on the ground. and They just kind of flick it up and down real right. quick. That's a really good way to hit yourself in the eye, hit yourself on the arm. Um, the trick is usually it's kind of like and I've never fly fished, but I've been told that it's the exact same motion. It is the way that you would fly fish, which is you, you bring it back behind you, let it get fully extended and then bring it forward. It's kind of like kind of like casting a fishing line, uh, not perfectly the same, but it's 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 a process. And then over time, you just kind of develop the muscle memory. I learned so long ago. I have actually, I have trouble teaching people now because I'm like, just, just do this. It's that simple. Just do this. And they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have two children. Like explain to them how to run. I don't know. You just, you just, just do it, do it. (laughs) And as a person who fly fishes, like that's exactly how you fly fish, right? You let it go all the way back and then you just kind of snap your wrist a little bit doing exactly. Um, what do you think makes you good at it? I think so. What, what I had the fortunate, uh, I, I had the good fortune of a couple of things. One, I grew up in the world, so of, of circus. So I've in, I've kind of learned a lot just through osmosis. Um, when I first started really, really practicing whips, I found that I knew how to do a lot of the tricks just by watching, having watched my dad do it so many times. Um, but then the other thing was, I've been doing this show 15, 16, 17 years now. So I'm in my mid-30s. I started performing solo when I was 18 um, in college. And so I had essentially 13, 14 years where no one knew who I was. I was was getting work, but not a ton of work. And so I had all that time to polish my show, figure out how to do this, figure out, okay, what makes people laugh, what doesn't make people laugh, and go from there. So I had a lot of time to fail off camera. And then, you know, this social media blow up didn't happen for me until October of 2021. By then, I think I was in my 13th, 14th season. So I had a lot of time to to kind of figure it out. What was that like doing something for so long? And then all of a sudden, boom, it was it was weird. I mean, so the the initial videos that went viral actually were not my videos they were videos of me that a fan took and put on tiktok and, and suddenly these videos are going my wife texted me while i was at work at my real job at, i was working at a radio station and she goes my friend just sent me this asking if this is you um and so i was like all right well i guess there's a demand for this after i think the second video went viral so I was like, well, let's let's make a TikTok account. We've got some old show footage. Let's just put it on the internet and see what happens. And it it it, it was very quick. Within ten days, it was like, oh, okay, all right. There's there's a demand for this. Um, and then as it continued to roll, um, it was sort of like, okay, well, let's see if we can make this a career. 
Um, and it's, I, I think in a lot of ways, going back to being able to fail off camera, you know, the, having the time that I did working both, you know, at, at Renaissance fairs and then also my work at working in radio, I got a chance, like sort of a taste of what it's like to be in the public eye without being a celebrity. And that kind of, I feel like I came into it not surprised, uh, not not surprised, but I, I, I sort of knew it's like, okay, this is what we do. This is how we manage expectations. This is how we manage, you know, making sure that I take time for myself, make sure I have things that are outside the public eye. Doing that was was huge. And, and having that opportunity before this all happened was huge. Knew how to handle it. Like there was the, the groundwork was laid, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I've said, you know, had this happened when I was 22, I, I would not have been able to deal with it. I would not have been ready to deal with it. I would have turned insufferable. <laughs> yeah. I think you see that happen to a lot of people on social yeah. media, too. What was that like kind of being in the public eye, doing the radio stuff, and then like, hey, what do you do on the side? Like, well, I do this. I, I So I tried to not always publicly say it um, uh, and, and be super forthcoming about it. I, it was not information that I would regularly volunteer, um, but certainly plenty of people that I, I interacted with knew. I remember it was very funny. I was doing a show one time and I saw a Boston city councilor who I had covered uh, in, in my crowd one day. Uh, he was a terrible audience member. He was talking to his wife or his girlfriend the whole time. But um, no, I think, I think early on there was this sense of, I think people were kind of confused. They would give you this quizzical look. They're like, wait, what, what do you do on the side? Um, but I think after a few years, everyone kind of knew. And if they didn't know, they were just kind of like, all right, they, it, it's, it's always, I, you either get this reaction of people are just shocked, uh, or more, more frequently, it's kind of just that people are like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's interesting. And then they move on. When did you start kind of in, including the singing in it that came out of out of just an improvised bit um i was working with another whip cracker and i was just standing there we both had one whip and so i'm standing there and i'm just going ch -ch -ch -ch. and then he happened to crack just in time that we made the beat for we will rock you ch -ch boom ch -ch boom and i'm like whoa wait keep that going keep that going and suddenly we start singing we will rock you and i was like wait a minute you can probably do this with a bunch of stuff. So I tried to, started trying out different beats. And I had taken a ton of improv classes when I was younger, when I thought, you know, maybe I want to be an actor or something like that. And making up lyrics to songs had always been something I was, I don't know about good at, but at least, you know, at that age, proficient at. Um, and I had done high school musicals, high school theater. Um, so my singing voice is not, you know, no one's going to confuse me for a professional singer, but I can carry a tune decently. Um, and so from there, it sort of became this idea of like, okay, well, let's, let's try putting this in the show as what we call oh, <clears throat> the pre-show, which is the pre-show is not your good material. The pre-show is something that's good enough, that's loud to get people to come to the show because Renaissance fairs, you know, you have show times, but you don't have a set crowd. So you, the first five minutes, you're essentially trying to get more people to come and see your show. And so what I realized is musical whipping, being loud, singing songs, this is a great way to get people to stop by and watch the show. And so I made that kind of the permanent fixture of the first five minutes of my show. And that was probably starting around 2012, I would say, was when that happened. Are you surprised that it was like, wait, this? This is the thing? 
No, because I mean, I mean, you look at the popularity of people like Weird Al, um, and you know, there, there's a demand for it. It's not everyone's thing. Like I, I see my comments every now and then where people are like, "Really, people find this entertaining?" And I'm like, "Listen, I, I don't know. I don't get it." Yeah, right. Like, what, are you, what are you mad at me for? Whatever works, man. <laughs> How does that work? Then you get paid by the Renaissance Fair, or people have to it's pay a- to come into the show, or is it? It's a combination. So the f- most fairs are a combination of they will pay you, and then you also get tips from the audience. And the tips are where you make most of your money, usually. Now, were you always, you can pronounce it better than I am, Z-Whipper? Jacques Z-Whipper, yeah. So early on, so we, my, my father and I essentially helped crea- uh, create this, this act when I first moved to Renaissance fairs when I was 20, I think. Um, and there are kind of three pillars of what makes a good renaissance fair show and you ideally should have a mix of all three um, but you can get by with two of the three if those two are really high and that's comedy skill and character and when i started my skills were yeah so we had to lean more on the comedy and especially on the character and renaissance fairs most people are english irish scottish you get the stray german every now and then um, very few French people. And so I was like, all right, well, let's, let's be French. Um, I took, I took five years, six years of French classes. I can, I can kind of fake it a little bit. Um, and it kind of worked. And then I remember the last day of, of my first weekend doing the character, I drew on the mustache and that seemed to make it click for everyone, which is that, oh, this is dumb. This is a, this is a, a skill show. This is you know a dangerous show, but this is still dumb. This is comedy, and we're here to have have a good laugh. And nowadays, I'm so glad I made that decision because uh, it allows people to understand that they should not be intimidated by by a man holding a whip, and that this is this is for laughs. This is to have a good time. What is it about Renaissance fairs? Because it's something that I haven't personally been to, but it's yeah. been my experience that people who are into it, they are into it. I think Renaissance Fair is, it's a place where you can go and be yourself, no matter how weird yourself is. So for a long time, it was a safe space for, uh, to, to, to put it bluntly, the freaks and the geeks of our world. And I, you know, I put myself in, in that category. But I think over the last, I would say, 10 years between Game of Thrones, Witcher, The Lord of the Rings, um, being a nerd has become more acceptable and of course marvel as well um and so we've had this influx i think of young professionals you know people in their mid to late 20s they're they're finally making good money they don't yet have kids so they have a lot of disposable income and they have been coming to the renaissance fair in droves um i noticed it around 2014 2015 where i was like hang on everyone who's here at this show looks like me. It looks like they're at the exact same stage of life as I yeah, am. Yeah, I know what you Except mean. for like that family there and that old guy there. Um, so I think there's been a big jump in that clientele so that Renaissance fairs have grown. And then on top of that, um, in the years after COVID, it was an outdoor safe space. It was an outdoor space you could go and have fun uh, and not necessarily need to worry about being indoors with 500 other people to go see some kind of entertainment. So maybe I'm missing out. Do you think that continues, though? Is it a flash in the pan or like, no, no, I think we've set a benchmark. They've been around for 50 years, Um, going back to the the early one. I think it started in the 60s um, in California. And, you know, a lot of the festivals I work are in their, you know, they're 30 plus years old. They're 40 plus years old. Um, 
So I don't know that they're going anywhere in the immediate future. Um, I don't think you're going to see years like you did in 2021 was just an extraordinary year um, all around. Um, but I think, yeah, I think, I think they're here for, I think they're here for a good long while. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Go for it. Hardest type of whip to crack? Stock whips. Um, so there are essentially three kinds of whips. You have a leather bull whip, which is like an Indiana Jones whip. Um, you have performance hybrid whips, which are a combination of a bull whip and a stock whip. And those are what you see me cracking in most of my videos. I, use, I call them my musical whips. And then stock whips, they come from Australia, uh, used for driving stock, driving cattle. Um, and they had this weird hinge on them where you go from the stiff handle into the braid of the whip. It's got this hinge on it, and I cannot figure out how to work those. And it's probably just because I didn't grow up cracking those. I grew up cracking my dad's bull whips. So uh, I actually have a pair on their way to me now that I'm going to try and figure out and see if I can get better with them. Uh, but that's, that's easily it. Um, and that and the chain whip, just because the chain whip is... You know, you're cracking a chain. It's heavy. It's floppy. There's a really good chance you hit yourself and, and hurt yourself. But that's, that's, I, I put that in a whole separate category. And that leads us into this question, right? Like, what's the worst injury that you've had? Like, how often do you get hurt? Not very often. You know, I think people think whips are a lot more dangerous than they are. Um, whips will leave a welt. At the most, they'll leave, you know, kind of a, a, a shallow cut. And that's if you really, really mess up. Um, the worst I ever did was in college. Uh, I, I was 20 or that was 20 or 20, 21. And I went to go do a side crack. And as the whip came forward, it caught the back of my neck and I thought it was just a welt. And then I learned the next day in class that I had not left a welt. I had left a long cut across the back of my neck. And someone in class leans over to me like, Jack, what did you do to your neck? And I just look at them and I gave the whip crack uh, motion. They're like, oh, okay. All right. We're not interested anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Crack myself with a whip. I like, go. Oh, it happens. Okay. You know, we've all been there. All right. Um, what's your favorite song to perform? Um, so I, what I always like are songs that are a little bit slower or that have, um, different rhyming schemes. So if it's just, you know, rhyme, a, a, b, b, um, that's harder. Um, because your your brain has to move faster. What I really like are songs that are slower, and it's an ABA type of rhyme. So you have two lines before you have to come back and do the rhyme. So a good example of this is Sound of Silence. Sound of Silence is nice and slow. Everyone knows it, and you have tons of time to think up what the rhyme is going to be. So I have done Sound, sound of Silence a bajillion times. Um... It is never the same rhymes because every single time I'm adapting it to the situation because I have enough time to do it. Um, something like Eminem's Rap God, where he's making a rhyme every half second, not my favorite to do. Those are a lot of those are a lot harder to do. How do you feel about Indiana Jones? I'm a fan of Indiana Jones. I was not a fan of Indiana Jones four. I thought Indiana Jones five was fine. Uh, I am very much, very much looking forward to the video game uh, that's coming out at some point this year. Who is your favorite fictional character with a whip? Besides, if it, if it is Indiana Jones. I think right now it's Richter Belmont, uh, Trevor uh, from the Castlevania series, oh, uh, the Netflix yeah. series. Um, I, so I watched both, uh, both Castlevania series they have. I really like Trevor Belmont in the original of just being 
just a dumb himbo who's really good at fighting vampires, which I, I enjoyed a lot. I thought they gave Richter a little bit more depth, um, and I like his costume a lot more. So I think right now it's uh, I, I, I'm leaning towards Richter at the moment. Can you really swing from a tree or from anything on a whip? You can swing from a tree on a whip. It is not uh, advisable, and it is not something that you should rely on. So it's easy to tie the whip around the tree. It is much harder to get the whip untied around the tree. You know, I don't know that my whip would actually survive doing that more than two or three times. Is there an aspect of kind of like circus performance necessarily that... Do whips seem to do better than something else to say that if you're juggling or throwing knives or anything like that? Is there kind of a hierarchy of like, you want to make it, you get the whip? Well, so I think um, my dad actually told me about this and talked to me about this when I was very, very young, where I was thinking, I was like, oh, I should learn how to juggle. And my dad said, here's the thing. Everyone can juggle. Everyone in the circus can juggle. Everyone who goes to the circus has seen a person juggle before. Um, and so if you want to be a standout juggler, you really need to be extraordinary at it, or you need to be so funny that you essentially don't need the juggling anyway. Um, and even then, even if you do all of that there, you know, there are 10 other jugglers who are almost as good or just as good as you, um, who could also do that, that act. Whereas, you know, I look at the Renaissance fair circuit, there are three people who do a primarily whip based show. Uh, myself, Adam Winrich, Aaron Bonk. So starting just from there, the the level of competition is much lower. And that was, you know, when he mentioned that to me, I was like, oh, okay, you're, you're telling me that I can get more work for less, less amount of practice. Yes, this sounds like a great idea. Um, so I gravitated to, towards whip cracking for that reason. Um, I also tried knife throwing. I have a knife throwing show that I don't do very often. Um, I have some other kind of miscellaneous circus skills, plate spinning, um, balancing, both, you know, whether it's on a tight surface or something, let's say, on, on my chin. Um, lots of other skills that I can kind of pull out, but they're not really, you know, the reaction that you get from spinning a plate is much less than what you get from cracking a whip. I have never understood the knife throwing aspect. Is it the knife? Is it the technique? Do you have to get the distance down? Like, how do you get it? All of the above. So um, what you want is you want knives that are weighted in such a way that they'll fly truer um, heavier knives are better because there's less variation on how much they rotate. You want to spin the knife as little as possible. And then for me, so I know that 10, uh, nine and three quarters steps away from the knife board is where I want to be when I'm, when I'm throwing knives, the way that I throw them, the knife will rotate and it'll stick the same way every single time, as long as I can find that distance. But if somebody gave you like a random distance, okay, I want you to do 13 and a half steps. Could you hit it or like, no, it has to be this distance? I couldn't consistently do it. I was amazed. I was sharing a stage <clears throat> with a guy named Cy the Sword Swallower in Colorado. And he does a knife throwing show. And I was watching him and I was like, Cy, I'm looking at the stage because normally you tape where your mark is, where you need to stand. You tape where the board needs to be and where you need to be. And I'm looking I'm like, Cy, where, where are your marks? How are, you, how are you figuring this out? And he goes, oh, and he walks up to the board starts throwing knives and stepping back, you know, about a foot each time and every single one of those knives stuck. And I was like, what? How do you, how do you do that? He goes, I don't know. I practice a lot. Jesus, man. That doesn't seem to really go along with like the laws of physics. I don't know if it's physics, but I would think like, no, you, it's not going to rotate again that fast. 
he just he's he's that good where he can he can just eyeball the distance and change how much the the knife is rotating. Okay, so we're looking at a video. Most bullwhip. Let me make sure the audio is off. Yeah, this is when I think I did 287 cracks. So this is actually not the current record because I broke this record in 2020. Um, but this is me swinging a whip back and forth 287 times. Well, 290 times, but I missed a few cracks in it. Um, and this was this was a record that I spent most recently. I spent about two years training, uh, six hours a day working or six days a week working out. Three days on, one day off. Three days on, one day off. Uh, spent two years doing that, put on 15 pounds of muscle to do this record, and then promptly had shoulder surgery for unrelated reasons and lost all that muscle. I went from looking like Captain America to looking like my normal self, which was you, sad. You need that much muscle to do that? Um, at the point that we had put it, um, you did. Um, because I, I had been going back and forth with Adam Winrich for a few few years, and I wanted to just finally put it way out of reach. So I, I in in COVID... I decided, you know what? Screw it. I don't have anything else going on. I'm just going to work out as much as I can, put on as much muscle as I can, and see, you know, how high I can put this mark. I think that's the thing with like whips, though. It's one of those things where like you look at and like I could do that. It it's pro- is it a lot harder than people think that it is? Um, I mean, cracking a whip in an in and of itself is not difficult. Um, the record is difficult because I was one of those guys where I looked at the record. And I'm like. I can do that. And then I tried it and I was like, oh, oh, that's a lot harder than I realized. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think getting to where I am as a whip cracker, someone could probably do in six months to a year if they were dedicated. Um, and I've been cracking whips for, like I said, you know, 20, almost 30 years. Um, but then getting the record, it, it has to be basically your sole focus, uh, at this point for for a year plus <laughs> at where Adam and I have, have said it. Oh, here's knife throwing. It's not actual knife throwing. This is this I just posted this morning. Oh, uh, this okay. Is me showing off all those other tricks that I that I learned and that I don't actually do in the show anymore because no one cares about them. <laughs> is that Oh, there is magic. Look at that. There's a little bit of magic. It's not good magic. Why is plate spinning in the Renaissance fair? Is that an old timey thing? No, it's just a circus thing. Um, so my dad's show was called the Super Scientific Circus, still is called the Super Scientific Circus, where you teach science uh, through circus tricks. And so one of those was plate spinning because it teaches about centripetal and centrifugal force. And uh, I had a lot of days backstage where just just sat there spinning plates because it was the only thing to do. Oh, there you go. Indiana Jonesing with my dad. There you go. So okay. this was where... We tried all the things that Indiana Jones does in the movies <clears throat> with one of my dad's old whips made by the guy who made the whips for Indiana Jones, who's dead now. Um, and so, you know, that whip is worth more than I am. All of those whips are worth more than I am. Um, but he had these whips and, uh, and the new Indiana Jones movie was coming out this past summer, last summer. And I was like, well, let's, let's try and do some Indiana Jones tricks uh, with, with the whips. Like... Um, there's a flash that he does in the first oh, yeah, uh, Raiders that. movie. Um, that's actually harder than it, than it looks. Disarming an armed attacker. So I had him hold out a bat, pulled the bat out. It worked far better than I expected it to. <laughs> and then uh, trying to swing from a tree branch. So for this, we did not use one of those whips because I didn't want to break it. But we used an eight-foot whip, caught around it perfectly. And I don't, I don't have it here. Um, but it took me about 
three minutes to untie it from the tree. I have it. I have it in the, the bloopers reel that I think I I posted later because uh, it's really hard to actually untie a whip once you've tied. You know, you spent so much of your life trying to not get your whips tangled or like tie them into knots because they they will do that sometimes. Uh, and then trying to do it intentionally is, is really hard. That's cool. So there, there's yeah. different ways to crack it? Yeah, so front crack, um, back crack, over the head crack, side crack. These are not the official terms. And then I say we will not be demonstrating the butt crack. Obviously not that kind of show. You can see that show somewhere else, but not with me. Um, but there are all sorts of different techniques that you can use for whip cracking. I think the, the the one that's most common, you know, that front crack is called either the circus crack or the cattleman's crack because it was how cattlemen would, would crack whips. Um, there's another one called the coachman's crack where you don't want it to crack out front because then you're going to be whipping, you know, the oxen or the horses that are pulling your carriage. Um, and so what you do is you kind of put, add this stutter into your hand so that it cracks right next to your right ear and makes you lose hearing for a few seconds. I don't like that crack. This is what I always wonder about people who do circus performance and any kind of thing where they have to have, like, how many copies of that outfit do you have? Are you just wearing the same one all the time? I have three different sets. I have three vests. I have four shirts. I have three of those sashes the pants right now i have four but i'm having four brand new pair or no i have three uh because i sent one of them off to a woman who's making me four more pair of pants and then the socks i have probably like seven or eight pair of socks and then the shoes i have five or six pair of those yeah now wait does anybody just wear the same one every day like oh yeah oh yeah yeah and it, it gets gross. So for a while, I only had two, which was usually fine because I'm performing, you know, on weekends. But then you would have that stray, that rogue three-day weekend, let's say around like Memorial Day weekend or Labor Day weekend. And that Labor Day Monday, oh boy, would I smell bad. Because it's also, you know, it's late August, early September. It's still warm. It's, you know, even if you're in the Northeast in Boston, which is where I usually was, it's still, it's hot and it's humid and it's muggy. I mean, like, not like what you get in Arizona, but... Yes. Humidity, humidity helps or, or doesn't help, I should say. So how hard was this to do? Um, so these whips are so freaking heavy. And um, I have I have my shoulders are Swiss cheese, as I always like to say. They've got lots of lots of damage with them. So I start with a five pound chain whip, um, which is heavy, but it's crackable. I can do most of what I want. But this this other one is a 10 pound chain whip. And the whole time I'm swinging this being like, oh, God, just don't dislocate your shoulder trying to crack this thing because the, you can feel it pulling on you. The weight is there. I mean, you say, oh, it's only 10 pounds, but it's also eight feet long and just, you know, the centrifugal force. I always have to remember, is it centripetal or centrifugal? Uh, the centrifugal force is just pulling on your arm so much that I have to just like tuck everything in there to make sure nothing comes out. That's pretty much all the questions that I got. Is there anything that you think that we missed and what's kind of coming up next for you? Where can people find you? Uh, best way to find me is I'm, so I'm going on tour in, uh, just a, just a few days, uh, busy 2024 ahead, uh, the full schedule, the easiest way to find it is at jackthewhipper.com or jacquesiewhipper.com or jacklepiars.com. No one knows how to spell any of my names. So I got all three domain names and they will all take you <laughs> to my website, which has my full schedule. Um, otherwise give me a follow TikTok, Instagram, uh, YouTube, Facebook. I'm on all the platforms and just about all the platforms get all the same content. 
I want to thank Jack so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And we've also included his information in the episode description. If you want to see him perform some of the things that we talked about, the YouTube version of this interview will be live on February 29th at 12.30 p.m. Pacific. So real quick, I want to take a moment and thank one of the sponsors of our show, Joy Mode. Joy Mode is a sexual performance booster. So whether you're looking to spice up your more intimate moments or increase your confidence in the bedroom, Joy Mode can help with an all-natural, science-backed approach. And right now, they're offering their trademark product, the Sexual Performance Booster, which is every man's solution to increase blood flow, firmness, stamina, and performance. And right now, they're offering a special discount to our listeners. You can redefine your intimacy by going to usejoymode.com for 20% off with code POINTLESS. That's 20% off plus free shipping with code POINTLESS. I'm usually really skeptical about stuff like this. Like, oh, okay, all right. But I tried it this weekend. And I don't know if the wife was happy, but I was impressed. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Okay, would you rather work for $500,000 a year or get $75,000 a year for free? How involved is the job that I'll be making five hundred? Is it a do it nine to five or or am I on the am I on call all the time? Is it a very involved job? Normalish job, like nothing crazy. There's no big catch to it. I would take the seventy five grand. I would take the seventy five grand too. I think that is because I think it's because as you get older, your time becomes more valuable, and you just rather have the time. Yeah, you don't realize that as you're a young person working. I wondered how close this was going to be. I asked the audience, so what do you think the percentage is? What percentage of people do you think put work for 500000 What percentage do you think said take the 75000 for free? Well, I want, I want to think that it would be pretty lopsided with people saying the $500,000 job. Uh, but I'm going to say it's probably pretty even. It is actually pretty even. 56% said work for 500,000, 44% said take the 75. I think that that has changed though. I think that in the last couple of years people have really started to question the value of not the value, but the idea of working all of your life and like, you know what? I I I'm pretty okay. I'm I don't really need to do all this. Sometimes managing people is not worth the hassle at all. Um Sometimes just staying where you're at and just making that steady salary, not having all the responsibilities, kind of awesome. Uh, and secondly, I, I just think I just think that the generation after us is going to prove so many things in terms of working, like working four day work weeks, things that generations before us and us would have been like, wow, why didn't we stand up for that? Like, you know, we could have done it. I think one of the big things that's going to change in our society is that we are a society, at least in the United States, that is based around the idea of growth. We got more people, more growth, more everything, and now we're looking for the first time at a society that is not growing, and that's going to 
lead to fundamental changes in how we view everything. Okay, but okay, no pipe dream jobs. Not like I want to be an NFL quarterback or you want to be a professional wrestler, which is I know what's your real dream. But if you could start your life over, what job would you do? Like if you could make the same amount of money, do all the same things, like what job would you really want to do? Oh, man, that's a tough question. Um, I mean, I'd love to be a coach, whether it be a high school coach or a, you know, a, a college coach or something like that, uh, a teacher. Um, you know, I, you know I, I'd also love to give acting a try. Not like real acting, but bullshit acting, something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can tell you this, and I, I say this with love, and I'm not afraid to admit this. If I could go back and do it over again, I would not have. And I would not have chosen this career path. I, I would I would do something different. And I don't want that for people to think that I don't like what I'm doing now. But, you know, I, I definitely would try something different. I don't know if I would change what I did. But if I had my dream, like the thing that I would really want to do would be a carpenter. Like, I would love to just be outside building stuff, like working with your hands. I would love to be a carpenter. But also some of that is probably because I have no, no DIY do-it-yourself talent whatsoever. Like, you give me an Ikea desk, it's going to be at least two weeks. Jesus, man. I mean, I, that's actually a good question. Is on a scale from one to ten, with five being you, you're self-sufficient at most house things, like changing a light bulb, you know, uh, mounting a TV, where are you on that scale? If it's just kind of replacing stuff or simple fixes, I'm actually not that bad. Like, if I've got a plumbing issue, I can usually fix that. If it's something where, like, I can clearly see how to take this thing apart and put it back together, then I can do it. My problem is tools and patience. And I've definitely kind of, like, going back to our poll question in the sense that, like, look, I could spend six hours figuring out how to do this. Or I can call someone and pay them to do it in an hour. Well, someone near and dear to me has this motto. It's either time or money. So which one, you know, what do you want to spend? Do you want to spend the money or do you want to spend the time doing it? Uh, which I think is a question that you only think of as you get older. Yeah. Young me would say spend the time. Old me would say spend the money. Yeah, I would definitely spend the money. I mean. I'm surprised you haven't brought this up yet, that uh, I, I am the guy that used to pay for a lawn service. It's ridiculous. You're not supposed to pay for it. Mow your own yard. I do, and I love you it You might now. as well let another now. man come in and have sex with your wife. If you have lawn service, you are essentially allowing another man to have sex with your wife, metaphorically speaking. No. You are letting another man mow your yard. Listen, all you men out there and women who hire people to do your lawns, don't listen to him. He's not. That's not men true. I I'm sorry. I have nothing against long service professionals. I have nothing against that industry. I think that trade work generally is one of the most undervalued sure? aspects sure? of our society. No, I think that trade work in terms of like plumbers, electricians, those kind of jobs, like wait till that stuff breaks and that stuff's incredibly important. But I don't think that a man should allow another man to mow his yard. It should be done by yourself. I, unless it, it needs to be five acres or more. I mean, I would Five say acres. More Mow than your own lawn. Half acre, half acre would be more than enough. I really don't have any concept of how big an acre is, to be honest with you. I, 
think it's a lot, a lot bigger than is it you pretty think. Big? Like, that's like yeah. one of those things, like I have no concept of how big that is. Like an acre. Like, oh, okay. Let's just put it this way. If you put your house and my house and our combined yardage together, uh, we still wouldn't have an acre, I don't think. so. Probably not. That's probably pretty big. Okay, one acre then. <laughs> if you can walk across your yard in less than five minutes, you need to mow it. Well, that's awesome. That is my that is my official that is my official statement. Uh, all right, we'll start here. Richard Murray, Grady Nettles. I like the name Grady. I don't know why, but I like it. It's good. It's a good one. Uh, Benjamin Shields, uh, Jim Doubt, Alex uh, Moodley, Ethan Welke, uh, Gabe D, Sam Robishaw, or maybe it's Robishaw. Robishaw, o- probably. Omar Khan, Tyler Tidwell. Uh, Uso Matuatia, love that. Well, I think you actually pronounced that right, too. I hope I did, because if not, I butchered it. Uh, Joey Verhesian and Colton Gaines. Congratulations. You all get this, I don't know, the gold star. Maybe we'll send you a t-shirt in six years. I have no idea. Someday. All right, you ready for uh, some yeah, rapid, yeah, 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 yeah. Some yeah. rapid fire questions here? That's going to take us 20 minutes again. Bring it, MFR. <laughs> All right, first I one. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope you've seen these incidents or it's going to make no sense, but uh, we'll okay. try it anyways. Okay. Uh, storming the court during basketball games. Necessary evil. I think that that's a necessary evil. I know some guy got hurt and it like ruined his season or something like that, but those sports only exist because of the fans. Like, to me... Should that guy have gotten hurt? Absolutely not. But I think that that's a necessary evil along with sports that you only exist because the fans are willing to pay for this and you got to let the fans do what they want a little bit. Like you got to acknowledge that, look, I know that you want to win. I know that you think this is all about your championship, but no, it's about making money and you don't make money without the fans. So get over it. Some would argue, if you haven't seen it, I I suggest checking out. It'll be a few days old by the time this comes out, but it's Duke, Wake Forest. Wake Forest upsets Duke. Uh, As Nick said, the Duke player is kind of running off the court. It almost looks like to me that he extends his arms to push somebody and then trips somebody, and then he gets run into. But regardless, uh, I agree with you. It is a necessary evil. Um I think, yeah. like, if if you looked at it from a business standpoint, right, there's the cost of doing business, and there's always some things that are the cost of doing business, and I think that's the cost of doing business. I mean, uh, yes. I, I here Here's my 20-second thing on it. I don't know if I'm okay in any sporting event where you have, we'll say hundreds, if not almost a thousand at times, people just randomly running onto the court when you have athletes and coaches and Team personnel on the court. I mean, I just feel like you're asking for a for a disaster. That's why when I hear all these people on TV complaining about this, it's like, what? You want to get thousands of people, get them super hyped up about their team, give them a bunch of alcohol, and then be surprised when this happens? Like, you called the devil. Don't be surprised when he shows up. Yeah, praise Jesus. Father, yeah. Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost coming out. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it from people about like, oh my God, these fans. I can't believe they did this. Well, I can't believe they did the thing that we wanted them to do. All right. Uh, completely flipping the script here. Uh, Cheez-Its. 
Oh, I love... Um, go through phases. I go through phases with the Cheez-Its. Once a year, I'm going to go through a Cheez-It phase where I'm going to try just about every flavor they have. Overall, I would say that I like them, but I'm going to choose chips over Cheez-Its every time. Okay. Well, follow-up question. What kind of Cheez-Its? Is there only one kind, or are you going with, like, Parmesan? Are you going with Grooves, or are you just going with the originals? I've had Grooves, and I thought that they were pretty good, but for the most part, I just want the cheesiest flavor of anything. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on, here's another food-related item. Uh, boba tea. Oh, I've started to really like it. Actually, okay. I don't really like it, but I really like to take my two sons to go get it because they like boba tea, and it's not really that expensive, and it's like, hey, you got boba tea. Okay, it's like well, three bucks, and like, here you go, and then they're happy for the rest of the day. I have, never, I have never had it, but I think I'm going to try it in the next couple of weeks. I'll have to report back to you on it. I am generally against any kind of drink that has calories in it. I just find it to be a complete waste of time, whether that be boba tea, juice, any kind of drink that has calories. Like, if I'm going to have any kind of calories, I want to fill my stomach up in a way. Like, I don't want to just drink them. I need to feel like I had them. Uh, Let's see here. Um, God, I'm old. Yeah, that was very old. But I wasn't going to say anything. Ooh. Which you definitely sounded like an old man right I there. Just turned into like an. That was bad. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You. Definitely... This is why I don't want to talk about your stupid lawn. You brought it up. You actually brought it up, I believe. Maybe. Um, <laughs> how important is a good pillow to you? Is it the most important piece of bedding? I can honestly sleep on just about any pillow as long as it's not too big. I just get used to whatever I'm doing. My wife goes through pillows every, like, I swear we get a new one every damn week. <laughs> yeah, But I'm okay. It. Like, pillow's not that big of a deal to me, man. I'll sleep on a rock, to be honest with you. No, you wouldn't. That sounds no, terrible. It's actually pretty uncomfortable, honestly. But I can sleep. All I really need, look, man, I've passed out on the floor many a time. All I need really is my own arms to lay on. Okay, uh, let's see here. Uh, Killian Murphy. He seems to be the the hot actor Which right now. Which one is he? Uh, Star in Oppenheimer. He was also in a show called Peaky Blinders. He is a, one of the more distinct-looking people. That's a distinct-looking person. Yeah. Right? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I don't know. I actually, I like him in the sense that he seems to be one of those actors that like, look, this is just my job and this is what I do and I don't really want to deal with any of the other parts of it. Like, just show up, do the job and go home. There is a, there is a pretty famous clip of him at, uh, I don't know, Con or, or, or one of those movie festivals where you can just tell he is so annoyed for having to stop in every 30 seconds, you know, right cheek, left cheek, smile. He just wants to get in and start drinking shots, I think. Well, man, that's the way to do it. It's just a job. Just a job. <laughs> just a job. Speaking of a job, uh, I don't know why I wrote this one down, but uh, door greeters. How are, you, how, wh- how are you feeling about door greeters? I like to be welcomed into a place. I like to be welcomed into a business. You should, this is, I'm going to go on a rant here now. This is my big problem with America at this point right now. Not America, actually. This is my big problem, I think, in society today, is that businesses have gone from trying to earn our business by providing us with a good service or a product 
They've gone from trying to earn our business to figuring out ways to take it. And it's ruined things for us. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with you. I want a store to want me. But at the same point, I'm also the person that just wants to go in and get out. I don't want to be confronted. I don't want to be talked to. Um, I, I stopped going to stores like Best Buy and places like that because of all the in-store advertisement people they would have. You couldn't. It, it felt like you couldn't walk down an aisle without having someone say, why, hello, sir, do you have AT&T? Or, you know, something like that. You must have a much more approachable demeanor than I have because nobody ever approaches me in places. I can approach everywhere I go. I, I, every Everything I get approached for. It's ridiculous. No one, like if there's, if there's one of those people that's like out on the street trying to get you for a signature or whatever, they, they never, I never get approached by those people. Yeah, I'm... I do get kind of a stink face, though. Like, like if, for instance, if someone's coming up to me in, like, say, a, a grocery store with a petition and they want me to sign it, I'll just be like, no, not today. And then they'll go away. But, yeah, I get approached all the time. Man, I don't know if I'm jealous of you or envious of you or what the word is or proud not to be you. Like, I yeah. kind of want to be approached. Like, I want somebody to ask me every once in a while. But no, be happy. Me. Be happy you're not approached. Because uh, the next the next and last topic I'm going to ask you about are these goddamn Girl Scouts selling their goddamn cookies every goddamn where. I think that Girl Scout cookies are another necessary evil of the world. I don't want Girl Scout cookies. I don't like Girl Scout cookies. I don't want to be approached about Girl Scout cookies. I don't want to tell the Girl Scouts no. But I think it's good for the kids to be out there doing it. They just, for me, the particular lesson that they're going to learn is about how the world is a harsh place and you're going to get a no. <laughs> we both know that, because everyone does this, that if you are approached by those damn girls, you're going to fold. They're only $5 a box. Nope. I've done, I have never bought Girl Scout cookies. Never. Never? Never. Wow. I've, I bought probably five boxes a season alone. Wow, I've never bought them. Well, never have bought Girl Scout cookies. Not when somebody, what I really annoys me is when somebody pulls that crap at work. Hey, my kid's selling cookies with a, don't bring that crap to work, man. <laughs> don't bring that to work. I don't think that there should be any kind of that activity, like funding for a birthday gift, a wedding gift, anything like that for work. Nothing. Maybe a sympathy card if you lose a loved one, but that's the only thing that I'm willing to do. <laughs> Anything else was like, man, this is a job. Don't want to do it. Well, don't want to get you anything. I don't want anything from you. I want a, a paycheck. That's just it. Just a job, right? Just a job. All right, that's all I got. What's the top five today? Oh, our top five. Top five flavors of Doritos. <laughs> There's... What's your there's number? A, What's there's a lot more than you would think. Yeah, there's a lot, uh, uh, and I'm curious because I have no idea where you're going to go with your list. Except I hope it's not the one you messaged me about the other day. Uh, my number five, spicy sweet chili. Hmm. There are two flavors that I have tried recently. I just don't remember exactly which one it was. It was either spicy sweet chili 
or Saul Severity that I did not like. I just don't remember which one it was, but I didn't like it. I was like, oh, I don't like that. Okay. It might have well, been spicy sweet chili. Well, that's, that's a shame because it's delicious. My number five is Cool Ranch. Number five? Number five. Cool Ranch. That's overrated the that's whole insane. way around. Not that great. I mean, it's great, but it's not that great of flavor. Number five is Cool Ranch. I stand by it. The foot is down. Well, not only do I have Cool Ranch on the list, but my number four is Flamin' Hot Cool Ranch. They're really starting to roll out some flavors. That, they're, they're, that Flamin' Hot's a little too spicy for me. Okay, on a scale of one to ten, one being the lowest, ten being the highest, how much spice do you generally like? Ten. Oh, you go all you'll go all the way, but can you eat like just go through a bag, like not have to take a break with something really spicy? Not really. I mean, I mean, yeah, not not really. It also depends a lot, though. There's there's a lot that goes into like how spicy things actually are, in addition to how spicy they they can be. You know, if you've had a lot of salt, if you're drinking beer, but yeah, I mean, I. None of these chips that I've ever had, I've been like, damn, I can only have a couple of those. I still get confused between the difference between medium and mild. I can never remember, is medium spicier than mild, or is mild spicier than medium? Usually goes mild, medium, hot. Is the way To me, goes. though, mild is medium. No. It, it, I've it, never, I've always been confused by this. I'm always like, which one's hotter, medium or mild? It just isn't. But what's your number four? Spicy nacho. That's as much spice as I'm willing to go is spicy nacho. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously you have to have, you know, the original on here somewhere. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. That's, that's, a, that's a good one. I don't think spicy nacho is the original, by the way. I think that's a new flavor. I think you're thinking of nacho cheese. Yeah, right, right. I mean, you have to have like a, like a cheese-flavored one. Okay, it's your number three. Which I think they technically all are. But uh, <laughs> uh, So my number three, actually, it's a version of Doritos. Uh, brand new, actually, within the last couple of months. But Dynamita Chili Limon Doritos. Delicious. Mm. Delicious. I don't generally like a lemon-flavored anything. It's actually Limon. You know what that you know what that stands for though, right? Like, yeah, you have to say lemon. You can't say lemon. It's lemon. It might be lime, honestly. Lemon. Lime. Could be lime. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I failed my Spanish classes. Oh, wait. So is it lemon or is it lime? You put the lime in the coconut. Is it lime or lemon? Oh, it is lime. So it is lime. That would make more sense than having lemon flavored. Okay, we were wrong. I don't like, I don't generally like a lime flavored chip. I mean, I wasn't going to correct you, but I kind of knew it was lime. No one has lemon chips, man. Yeah, that wouldn't be very good. What's the weirdest flavor of chip you've ever had? Like, that was a weird flavor. Oh, man, I I don't know. I mean, uh, there's a local company up here that makes some pretty like weird ones. Like, I always find like dill pickle is weird. But it tastes delicious. Yeah. Um, I've had ketchup flavored chips in Canada. 
Okay. Yeah, I live I've in had... Seattle. Canada is close, and you've had like ketchup flavored chips. They're okay. I've had Coney Dog flavored chips. Those have been kind of weird. Yeah, I don't really like a lot of weird flavors. Chips need to be basic flavors. My number three is a newer one. It's Loaded Taco. Okay, that sounds good. I don't think I've had that one yet. It's good. It's up there. I would put it up there, right? I Like I said, I put it above Cool Ranch. It's a flavor that has a lot of possibilities. I don't think the other flavors that they have, like new flavors, are really going to go anywhere, but I think Loaded Taco is going to be here. Yeah, I think I like it's going to be here just flipping that salad, that taco salad. What? What? Uh, our number two, or my number two, rather, uh, just the what started it all, nacho cheese. My number two is also nacho cheese. I think nacho cheese is the appropriate is appropriate at number two. Well, my number one, what should be everybody's number one, Cool Ranch, baby. I just don't. I'm always like, okay, I think nacho cheese is better. My number one is zesty cheese, which is a flavor that I have only seen in Canada. Like I said, <laughs> I live in Seattle. We go to Canada fairly recently, and they have fairly frequently, and they have zesty cheese, which comes in an orange bag, and it's it's the best. It's the best Dorito flavor. I have no idea why they wouldn't have it in the United States. I mean, you kind of mentioned it earlier. Because companies don't care about us. If they cared exactly. about us, we'd have zesty cheese Doritos. It's fantastic. What's, um, I would say honorable mention, but there's a couple that we left out. Um, okay. Did you mention sweet and tangy barbecue? No, because I've, this is going to sound weird, but uh, to, barbecue chips are barbecue chips. Doritos are not barbecue chips. Right. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. I generally that I would say barbecue chip is my least favorite flavor of chip. I generally don't like like hey you want barbecue like no I don't. Yeah, I mean it's not what I'm reaching for first. I'll tell you that. I also generally I will eat them, but I also generally don't like like salt and pepper vinegar or vinegar flavored. Takes a certain occasion for me to enjoy a bag of vinegar chips. Um, some other ones that got left out. Salsa Verde comes in a green bag. No, I'm good with that. Yeah, I'm good with that, too. They also have spicy sweet chili. It's one of the new flavors that I was like, that's, I, but I don't know if it was sweet and tangy barbecue, spicy sweet chili. I think it was actually spicy sweet chili that I was like, oh, I don't like that at all. Well, that's, that's why it's on my number, on my top five list, because it's delicious. Okay. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's the whole thing. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Just a couple of quick words. And let us know what you think the best flavor of Doritos is. And if you're in other countries, let us know what kind of Doritos you got. I will travel to another country just for Doritos. Cool Ranch is overrated. So real quick, I want to take a minute and thank one of the sponsors of our show, Joy Mode. Joy Mode is a sexual performance booster. So whether you're looking to spice up intimate moments or just increase your confidence in the bedroom, Joy Mode takes an all-natural 
science-backed approach using supplements that are peer-reviewed by scientists. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.